stand for our scripture reading, which this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, starting with verse 27. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four mouths more and then the harvest? I'm sorry, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Every Sunday morning we gather around God's word because we believe it is our source of life. It is our source of direction. It's our spiritual compass in a world that's often going astray. It is what orients us or reorients us to God's mission and God's plan. Uh, About a week and a half ago, I had an opportunity to share a message with the various church health coordinators around our country, of which I am one for our presbytery of the Pacific Southwest. And I talked about the power of the hand of God that is upon us, the spirit of God and the word of God. And through those tools and through the empowerment that comes from them, we have uh, the resources we need for ministry. We have the resources we need to be renewed and revitalized. Amen? Amen. So this morning as we continue in our series on joining Jesus on mission, we are looking at the mission of God itself. And this foundational truth, that every follower of Jesus can join Jesus on his mission by sharing our own story and inviting other people to come and see Jesus. Every follower of Jesus. And we're going to break that down today. Every one of us can join Jesus. None of us is sort of left out. None of us is unable because of how we've been enabled by God's word, by his spirit, and by God's hand upon us. And each one of us have a story to share and an invitation we can extend And it is truly an invitation. It's an invitation to join Jesus on a great adventure. And I love the adventurous quality of living in faith where we're active as a disciple of Jesus seeking to share with other people and to seek to make disciples. 
But it begs the question, if we're looking at the mission of God and we're accepting Jesus' invitation to join him on it, what is the mission of God? And how would you describe it? If you, uh, you know, think about this, you might look at, for instance, the Great Commission, right? From Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. You would think about how we are called to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We had three baptisms last week. People that joyfully celebrated their being joined to Jesus and joined with God's family. And we, as the people of God, are meant to be on a mission with God. We might say, as disciples of Jesus, one of the core aspects of our discipleship is that he, Jesus, would lead us to make other disciples. So where do we start? It often starts with simply turning everyday, ordinary conversations into a Jesus conversation. It starts with addressing our fears and reluctance to talk about Jesus and what factors might cause us to be hesitant. And this passage is wonderful because again and again, what we see in the Gospels and what we see at the heart of this, the interaction between Jesus and the woman at the well and then with the Samaritans, is that Jesus again and again breaks down barriers. He breaks down barriers between sexes, men and women. He breaks down racial barriers between Jews and Samaritans. Jesus is about breaking down barriers so that people can receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus. In John 4 and in the interaction prior to the passage uh, that Karen read, we see Jesus first reaching out to a woman, the woman at the well. And now in this passage, we see him also reaching out to his disciples and then to the town. Watching Jesus give himself to people with love and compassion helps us to care and understand God's care for the people that he puts in our path. In other words, if Jesus cared for the woman at the well and had his heart set on interacting with her, and I I always think when it says Jesus had to go through Samaria, it wasn't because he actually physically had to go through Samaria, it's because he had a divine appointment with that woman, okay? If, if, if Jesus is, expresses that kind of care for a woman who had been pushed out, ostracized from society, felt like she had to go to the, get water at, at a time when no one else would be there, Jesus has shown that he cares about individual people. Now, in this interaction with the Samaritans, he also shows that he cares about groups of people. As Betty will lead us in prayer later, we need to be praying for the entire Middle East, right? Everybody there. We're concerned for Israel. It's been under attack, but we're concerned for all people there because God loves people, okay? And we might think about different experiences in life, different parts of our lives that, you know, are kind of separated from our witness to Jesus, time where we might think this is my own, Uh, but the reality is if we are joining Jesus on mission, it is always time to be on mission with him. I'll admit something. When I get on a plane, like I did a week and a half ago, to fly to Orlando, Florida, I see it as my time. I am away from my pastoral responsibilities, uh, the church that I love. I'm away from my family, my kids, and just the, the, the different demands of life. And when I get on a plane, I am thinking about the good book that I'm wanting to read, whether it's the Bible or another good book. I'm thinking about it being my time. Well, last week it didn't go exactly that way. On my first flight out, my first leg to Denver, Colorado, I got out my journal. I was looking forward to having some time of introspection and reflection. 
and the woman next to me pulled out her journal right after I did mine. And I just said, so you're a journaler, huh? About an hour and a half later, I had heard about her difficult divorce as a 24-year-old who had been married for just a couple years to her high school sweetheart, but things hadn't gone well. I had heard about a relocation from New Hampshire to Folsom, California. Why are people moving to Folsom? I don't know. It's it's just people. Gosh darn. Um, And I just had the privilege of listening to her story and thinking about the things we could be grateful for and that, that God was going ahead of her to Folsom, that God had a new season in her journey after a very difficult season. And she told me that the flight she was on was the flight back to, to get her things and, and to move everything out to California and that she was going to have to interact with her ex. And I asked for the privilege of praying for her and just asking God's protection for her on this visit. Like Jesus with the woman at the well, God had a divine appointment for me in that opportunity. And it meant closing my own journal and being open to what God wanted to do in that time. Friends, joining the mission of God can be simply like that. For Jesus, he placed himself before the woman as the one she was expecting, even if she didn't know she was expecting him, but he was expecting her, right? He goes to the well, he's prepared, he's ready to meet there. He had a divine appointment from God, and as the son of God, he knew it was coming. But that a divine appointment that he follows up on, which breaks down tremendous barriers, again, is something that clearly leads her into immediately going and telling her neighbors that she had just encountered a unique and wonderful person whom whom they should also meet. She knew little about Jesus, really, through that interaction. It wasn't long, but she knew enough to know two things. uh, She knew something about him as one who could provide for her spiritual hunger and thirst, and she knew that he knew her. And that's one of the things that comes into play every time we join the mission of God. Jesus knows those people. And Jesus cares about those people. He knows their story, all the difficult aspects of it. And he's reaching out to them with love and forgiveness, embracing them in that and seeking to bring them back into the family of God. Good news is that Jesus is on the move, as we've talked about in this series again and again. And the news, that good news, is something that even strangers can be open to or curious about. And even whole towns, as we will see with the Samaritans. But notice that when Jesus initiates this interaction with the woman, she goes off. We're going to talk about that more. Jesus spends some time with his disciples. And this is our time with disciples. And Jesus would speak to us about the importance of being able to look at the world from God's perspective. Seeing people as a spiritual harvest to be reaped for God. Jesus reminded his disciples of his mission to do the will of God and accomplish his work. And in so doing, he encouraged their participation. Friends, we're clearly meant to join Jesus on his mission. And that mission can just be caring for people in Jesus' name, sharing a little bit of good news, giving some sense of hope or encouragement, perhaps imparting some important spiritual truth. But in all ways, what is happening is Jesus has initiated the movement of his kingdom by coming on earth, and that kingdom is still advancing each and every day. And the mission of God for us as the body of Christ is to join him on it. 
Greg Finking, his book, Joining Jesus on His Mission, says, The mission of God is to redeem and restore all people to himself and is ignited and unleashed by the arrival of the kingdom of God into the created world, first through Jesus and now through us. Recall from Pastor Greg's message last week that the kingdom of God is what Jesus came to announce and display and open to all who would receive it. Jesus indicates that the kingdom of God is already coming into our community each and every day, and yet it will not come in all its fullness until that last day when he returns and sets all things right. But with the arrival of Jesus, who is the king, The invisible kingdom of heaven is now coming and into the created realm of earth, breaking in, taking root, and taking over. The kingdom of God is the unseen reality around us that is actually more true than what we see. We don't have to worry then about how to get Jesus into our offices, classrooms, or neighborhoods. He's already on the move there. We don't have to concern ourselves with how Jesus will ripen people for their next step towards faith. He's already on it. All we really have to do is look for what Jesus is already showing us. In other words, seek the kingdom and look for what is already happening and join in. And what is Jesus up to today? That is a kingdom of God question. It's about noticing how the kingdom is coming now in this moment in the lives of the people around us. What is Jesus showing me? What is he inviting me to notice? What is he up to here? The ultimate question, of course, is that Jesus is up to, or the ultimate answer to that question is that Jesus is up to the kingdom of God. And the mission of God is to redeem and restore all things to the kingdom of God, beginning with human beings. Notice that we cannot redeem and restore people to the Father's kingdom. That is the job of Jesus. But what we can do is to look out for those people who are open and receptive, ripe for his redemption. As Jesus says in John 4, 35, all we have to do is open our eyes and look to the fields, for they are ripe for harvest. Ripe simply means ready. Jesus is saying there are people ready out there And Jesus is inviting us to open our eyes and see those people and see what Jesus is showing us about them, to notice them, notice the people who are ready and open and receptive. I noticed this last Sunday, uh, a group of us gathered to pray and then went across the street to Cash and Steel Department Complex and went door to door and extended invitations for people to come to our Harvest Festival, which is the last Saturday in October. We uh, divided it up. We said, okay, you're going to, you know, Judy and and Linda, you're going to do the first floor. And Dave Cochran and your family, you're going to do the second floor. And and, uh, as we were preparing to to leave and prepare, my niece Evie tapped me on the side, because she's still short, and said, Uncle Mike, can I go with you to go across the street? And I said, sure. Ask your parents. So he went and asked her parents. And Daryl and April said, yeah, she can go with you. Evie had been baptized that morning in our second service as a nine-year-old. She had committed her life to Christ. And on her baptism day, she wanted to go across the street and engage our neighbors. She is a budding evangelist. What I noticed as we covered the third floor apartments of Cash and Field was that Evie was most often taking the lead, knocking on the doors, extending the invitation, 
inviting them to come to our harvest festival. And I also noticed that most often the people were receptive. People were genuinely appreciative of an invitation. People smiled. They were open. Rather than have that sense of, oh, they're going to be resistant or opposed. They're not going to want to participate in what we're doing. We took an active posture of belief that they would like to be invited. And what we found was a general receptivity. The most interesting interaction we had was one of our last, one of the last doors we knocked on. The guy who opened the door did not have a shirt on and was tattooed pretty much from head to everything we could see. And Evie quickly looked to me like, Uncle Mike, you've got this one. And so I spoke to that man. We're not going to reach everybody, nor are we necessarily going to feel comfortable to reach everybody. But we are called to reach somebody's, right? We're each called. And we each have particular relationships, we're each in a particular neighborhood, workplaces and spaces where God has put us for a purpose. So Jesus shows what that can look like here. Jesus introduces the mission of God, and Jesus and the mission of God are seen clearly in the interactions that take place here. And first we see him, again, talking with a woman. His mission is advancing as he cultivates this conversation with this woman. Secondly, we'll see that he carries out God's mission by simply doing God's will. And third, we see it coming through serving as the Savior of the world. Let's look at each of those three. In talking with a woman, note again, and you're familiar with this, rabbis avoided typically carrying on conversations with women, even of their own families in public. To do so with any other woman was almost unheard of. For Jesus then to engage in conversation with this woman was startling. It's breaking down a barrier again between men and women, and it's breaking down a barrier between Jews and Samaritans. But Jesus is on the move. And he's about carrying out God's mission as the savior of the world, not just the savior of the Jews. Robert Coleman, in his book, The Master's Way of Personal Evangelism, says, As Jesus speaks, the disciples, laden with groceries, returned from the town of Sychar without ever getting friendly with the Samaritans. They were amazed that their master would be speaking with a woman. Apparently, it had never occurred to them to share the gospel while shopping in town. But it does occur to the woman who meets him at the well, who immediately leaves behind her water jug and goes to share her discovery of Jesus. Jesus, meanwhile, while the woman goes, shares with the disciples some basic realities of his mission. He talks about its essential character. That God's mission is about reaping a harvest of souls, of disciples, of followers of Jesus. And that it is an act of obedience. The doing and completing of all the Father had called him to do. Jesus speaks of the consuming satisfaction of his mission. The service of his kingdom, which is like food which sustains and fulfills. He observes the mission's urgent opportunity as the Samaritans come. Jesus was spiritually fed by doing the Father's will. He depended on the Father, and he did the work the Father sent him to do. So while the disciples are talking about physical food and thinking that somebody had come and fed Jesus while they were away, Jesus is talking about a spiritual satisfaction that occurs when we participate in the mission of God. When we do God's will, it feeds us. It sustains us. It strengthens us. And we find our true satisfaction in that place. 
you've probably heard it said there's nothing more dangerous than being you know, outside of God's will. And then the converse is also true. There's nothing more joyful or satisfying than being within God's will. So note that we as a church long for you to be engaged in Bible study. We want you to hear God's word preached. We want you to get in groups, growth groups, and interact over God's word and men's and women's groups, couples groups, all all of those groups. Get into God's word. It spiritually feeds us. We're fed through prayer. We're thread through our own spiritual devotions, reading the Psalms right now. I read Psalm 103, which was the psalm for our read through the Bible in the year plan at the start of our service. We're fed through fellowship. I love you guys. And I am strengthened every time I see you on a Sunday morning. I am greatly encouraged when I see your faces. Okay? When Jesus sees the Samaritans walking up, and he sees that, you know, I, I see you walking up from the parking lot, and I'm delighted to see your faces. But you know how we're also fed? We're fed by actively doing the will of God. Okay? We're not just fed by receiving. We're also fed on the way in doing and carrying it out. Okay? And unless we're carrying it out, unless we're putting into practice, you know, the feeding starts to almost become self-centered, right? It becomes like a banquet where we overeat instead of share what we have. Part of the the mission of God is to do the will of God and announce that the Savior of the world has come and is the one who can satisfy people's needs. And if they align themselves with the will of God, they're going to find true and real satisfaction. Amen? I need to hear it a little louder. Amen? There we go. Now we're awake. So it's not only Jesus who initiates the mission of God here, we also see the woman participating in the mission of God, and that's kind of the second of four stages. She goes back into the town. She invites people to come and see Jesus, a man, she says, who told her everything he ever did. She questions, asks them a question, could this be the Christ? Could this be the one we're looking for? And she shares her testimony with the people of that town. Again, looking at those kind of one by one. Notice again that that the woman has gone out to get water at a time in the afternoon when she believed nobody else was there. She had isolated herself because of her sinful practice and condition, uh, and she was not connected with the people of her town. She had disconnected herself. But now note, experiencing the presence of Jesus, what does she do? She goes back into the town and connects with people. And she leaves her water jar behind. And I truly believe that is a rich image. I believe it's leaving life behind. I believe it's leaving behind the ways of worship that she talked about with Jesus that were more ritualistic rather than relational. And and I think that water jar symbolizes a lot for her as she goes to the town and as she shares. And I want to say to us that I think there's some water jars that we have. Water jars of shame and guilt, water jars of, you know, pretend perfection, water jars that that we've held on to for a long time, and and anything that we think will be the thing that will fill us and sustain us and satisfy us, those things that are other than Jesus, who is the water that wells up for eternal life, we need to leave those things behind. And find, if we do, if we join Jesus on his mission, that we're going to find ourselves fed. We're going to find our thirst satiated. We're going to find true satisfaction. But we've got to give up those other things first. 
And, and sometimes it's a model of success. Sometimes it's just, you know, financial security. Sometimes it's our national security. Whatever it might be. We, we have various forms of things that, that we have sought our satisfaction in. And if it's anything other than Jesus that we're putting at the center, we have to leave those things behind to join him. But then notice once she does. She is able to go and extend a great invitation. She's able to uh, extend a witness to the, her town, which sparks curiosity and interest. They're, they're people that see that something... They're going from a person who had isolated herself and they looked down upon to somebody who was courageous enough to come and, and tell them, hey, I met a guy and you got to meet this guy. Come and see Somebody who told me everything about myself. In other words, the obvious transformation of her character became the greatest commercial that they needed to come and see Jesus. And friends, your transformed life is the best way, fully displayed as an act of grace by God to this watching world that that Jesus has something to offer. When you show that Jesus has made a difference in your life and, and led you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. When you point to the fact that everything's changed in your life and, and you are a new creation, that is incredibly attractive. And the invitations you extend are going to be much more likely to be received if you share that personal experience with them. Extend simple invitations. Just come and see. The woman shared her discovery and, she, and, and, have, and having found this amazing person and she was compelled to share her find with others. And the Christian life could be said to be based on two pillars of truth. One is discovery and the other is communication. Our discovery of Jesus, if it's real and true, will compel our communication about him with other people. You see, when we find such good news as is available through Jesus and as he makes known to the woman at the well, we really can't but yet share it. It's something that wells out of us, that bubbles up and bubbles out, that we cannot contain. We should almost be like the shaken two-liter bottles of soda that once open are just going to naturally overflow because of the carbonation. Do we have the carbonation of the Holy Spirit that is compelling us and and, and bubbling out of us so that we let people know who and what is available to them. It's as simply as saying, look, I've encountered a person and he knows everything about me, but he seems to love me and actually like me. And I think you should get to know him too. Come and see. And, And just ask questions. Could this be the Messiah? Read the gospel for yourself. Come, and come to church with me and check it out and, and decide for yourselves. Could this be the one that can meet your heart's longing and satisfy your spiritual thirst? And do it through sharing your own personal story. Because again, it's your personal story that has the most power, I believe, to impact other people. Sharing your story and the way he's transformed you. Perhaps met you in experience of grief and sadness, but brought you into a place of joy and fullness and recovery. Perhaps it's a story of, of recovery through, of, from addiction and, 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 and God has enabled you to, to stand against temptation and turn over a new leaf, so to speak. Perhaps it's a story of his continued provision for you. 
Many of us have those testimonies where we knew that God was real from an early age. We were nurtured in it and we've grown in it ever since. But that story has power too. Notice when the woman shares the story, it transforms the town. The people from the town join in the mission of God also. The people in the town and the mission of God can be seen through their coming out of the town and they're making their way to Jesus by believing in the woman's testimony and believing in Jesus' words. Note that the woman left the jar behind to go and share it with the town about Jesus. But the town leaves their own safe situation and circumstance and comes to Jesus out. They left something behind, at least temporarily, also. And note that they first did it based on the witness of the words of the woman. But then... They come and see who Jesus is for themselves through their own direct experience. I love the fact that when Jesus sees them coming, he tells the disciples to look up and see that the harvest is white and and, and is ripe. Look at the field, see them now. They are white for harvest. Now a harvest of wheat is usually, right, when we look around it. The harvest, when he says, look up and see that the fields are white for harvest, is actually about the fact that Samaritans typically wore white robes. He's saying the fields are white for harvest because he's seeing Samaritans walking forward with white robes. But they're people that really need to be cleansed also, right? And we know in Revelation, the white robes, spiritually, only come through the blood of Jesus, washing us free of our sin, cleansing us for an eternity with him. They may have been wearing white robes, but they, like all of us, need to encounter Jesus, the only one who can really make us white as snow. But the fields are white for harvest. There are people coming towards them. The question for the disciples is, are they ready to participate? And here's where we see the disciples in the mission of God intersecting and where we can see this for us. We are to open our eyes and look at the fields like them. They are ripe for harvest. And they, like we, are sent by God to sow spiritually from what has been uh, sown or invested. You see, Jesus has already done the heavy lifting. He came to this earth. He walked among us for a roughly 33-year period. He lived and died on the cross for our sins, and he rose from the dead. That's the heavy lifting, right? What we now get to do is open our eyes and look out at the fields Look up at our stores and in our workplaces. Look for those people whose, whose heads are bowed and their eyes are down. And know that we don't have to delay our participation in the mission of God. Jesus plays interactively with a parable that they had, which was four more months you know, to the harvest. And essentially he's speaking of the difference between when seeds were usually sown and when they were ripe for a harvest, which was usually a four-month But Jesus is saying that there's no time gap right now. Spiritual seeds are being sown by him into the life of the woman at the well and into the lives of the Samaritans, and they are ripe for harvest right now. For some of us, we wrestle with whether it's harvest time. Sometimes we excuse ourselves from witnessing by saying that our family and friends aren't ready to believe But our excuses don't really hold up very well before the example of the Samaritan woman who spoke to the very people most likely to reject anything she had to say because of her past life. 
But because Jesus had met her needs spiritually and had transformed her life, she now shared that story, and people came. They came to see Jesus for themselves. They came to believe based on her testimony, and they came to believe based on their own experience of Jesus. My encouragement to you is don't make excuses. If you are waiting and watchful, if you're looking for what God is doing, go ahead and join in and participate and go ahead and share your story. You don't know who might respond or not. And guess what? That part's not up to us. Our part is to join in, to join Jesus on the mission of God. And let me leave you with just a few simple ways you can do that. The first is engage people in the town. Just simply engage with people. Interact with people on a daily basis. Look up and see those people who are a part of the rhythm of your lives at the grocery store and your workplaces and other places you live and move. And invite people to come and see Jesus. Extend simple invitations. I remember somebody in our congregation, I think she uh, was at the doctor's office and waiting for her appointment, and some uh, member of our church who has moved and no longer participates in our congregation after they moved out of state, but simply said, why don't you come and try my church? I love Sierra Presbyterian Church. You'll hear God's word. It's joyful. There's great people. And she came, and that person has been an active part of our church life ever since. Ask questions. So you're a journaler, huh? Build on the connections that you see before you and just simply ask questions. Open your eyes and look at the fields. Are they ripe for harvest? Go out in the belief that they are and join in what Jesus is doing. Remember that Jesus is the living water of life. We are not, but he has it to offer as a fountain that overflows in our lives and through our lives. And as Jeff Vanderstelt once said, as we are changed by the gospel, we want to share how the gospel has changed us. It's a great thing to do so. In fact, one of the keys to gospel fluency is to regularly share what Jesus has done or is doing in our lives with other people. Our stories are powerful demonstrations of the gospel's power to save. Our job is to testify to Jesus' work in our lives while also listening closely to others so that we know how to bring the truths of Jesus to bear on the longings of their hearts. We need to bring them to Jesus so he can meet their unique needs and fulfill their spiritual longings. But in order to do this, we often have to slow down, quiet our souls, ask good questions, and draw out people through listening. I leave you with this, the power of story, and really three stories, our friend's story with God, listening to them and cultivating a willingness to listen and hear where they are and where they're at in their journey, our story with God, the power of our own story with Jesus that has transformational quality, and ultimately the the big story, God's story, God's mission. Tell them the story of Jesus. Do it through the four spiritual laws as my friend Dave does. Do it through the three circles where you speak to God's design for a relationship with us, God, the brokenness we have as a result of our sin, but the gospel of God's restoration through Jesus. That through him we can recover and pursue God's original design for a relationship with us. And friends, that is truly good news 
that is worth sharing. Amen.